you know, when I think back and we've, you know, we've talked about government corruption quite a few times on our podcast and it's a favorite topic of ours mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's scary. I'm waiting for my lights to go out again, yeah, uh, but like, <laughs> Welcome to the What's Over the Podcast. We fashion ourselves cinematic judging, Jerry. My name is JJ Crowder. I'm here with my co-host, Alec Burgess. Let's get it. We appreciate you tuning in. Go ahead and hit that follow, subscribe, like, bell notification buttons. Hit all those buttons. Uh, help you keep up with our content, um, when new things are coming out, what we're doing. Uh, also, it'll help us grow the podcast, which we appreciate. So to continue in that vein, tell a friend about us. Tell your family about us. Tell a silent film actor about us. Um or just any kind of film actor. I won't go down the other roads that I was <laughs> thinking about saying to tell you, because hopefully you don't know any of them. But um, um, with that, we are reviewing today Chaplin. Um, it was released January 8th, 1993. Uh, it was written by David Robinson, partially Charles Chaplin himself, and Diana Hawkins. It's directed by Richard Attenborough. It stars. Okay, I got to get ready for this. Jesus. Yeah. Um, it stars Robert Downey Jr., Geraldine Chaplin, Paul Reese, John Thaw, Moira Kelly, Anthony Hopkins, Dan Aykroyd, Marissa Tomei, Penelope Ann Miller, Kevin Klein, Maria Patillo, Mia, Mila Jovovich, Deborah Moore, Diane Lane, Nancy Travis, James Wood, Jesus. No, he wasn't in it. And then Kevin Dunn. <laughs> 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 it took me a second <laughs> got you on that one <laughs> oh shit it's quite the cast list and there's more but i stopped um <laughs> and Elderly Charlie, Charlie Chaplin discusses his autobiography with his editor, recounting his amazing journey from his poverty-stricken childhood to worldwide success after the ingenious invention of the little tramp. Um, yeah, dude, I'm excited to talk about this movie because I know Charlie Chaplin holds an interesting place in both of our hearts. We've done a couple of his movies here on the podcast, so if you haven't listened to those reviews, go check it out. We've done The Great Dictator as well as uh, The Immigrant, so... Yeah, both of which are heavily shown in the because it's two of his most famous and the two that got him in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about his past and his history, like in our reviews of his movies and some of the things that got him in trouble. And so a lot of the things you see portrayed in this film, but there's also a lot of things and pieces of his personality and who he was that we haven't talked about because uh, they weren't relevant to the movies we were reviewing and things like that. But I. I'm excited to talk about it, but I also know, like, based on our previous review where, you know, you were talking about, because I'm with you, like, there's certain biopics or biopics, which contain, this is the final one in our biopic, biopic month, where you're like, I don't know if I want to see what they have to say about this person, because, but just like Johnny Cash, you're like, you have such a, an attachment to, you know, Charlie Chaplin and what yeah. he does, like, I don't want that to fuck up my view of what I have and the things that I have. So I love this film. Obviously this is my pick. I love this film. I love what it tells. I love the acting. I think there are a lot of pieces that I want to talk about that I think could have been done differently in this movie. Like it's not a perfect film. 
not to give away my rating too early or what my rating won't be, but I do think it's very good. And I think it hold does a very good job of telling Chaplin's story to a degree, but I'm curious to hear what you thought, your thoughts on it. Yeah. So you're two for two again. Uh, I hadn't seen Chaplin and I, wow. I'd avoided it because sure. I didn't want to watch a biopic about Chaplin. I was like, Mm-mm, I'm good. <laughs> and for, I'll say like the beginning part, right. Where we have uh, his young life was cool his early life mm-hmm. when we first see robert downey jr i hated it yeah i hated it because he does he's got the look yeah right but he does not have the voice yeah and he didn't really have he didn't i didn't really believe he was chap sure and we fast forward through his kind of like uh you know vaudeville career mm-hmm. and we get to where he creates the tramp and i got goosebumps when he came out dressed as a tramp and yeah. when he's they have an amazing shot of him walking away doing chapel figuring iconic, it out figuring it out his iconic walk and i got goosebumps yeah because then i was like oh i'm bought in and then you, robert Downey jr i'm assuming he's the one who's doing all the stunts does a phenomenal job of replicating this physical comedy that we talked about with chaplin that nobody really should be able to replicate yeah um but he does a really really good job of making it work with his movements and the uh you know perfectly placed jump or you know cane that knocks someone over and this physical comedy that's really difficult to pull off robert downey jr does a really good job so from that point i was bought it but it took a while to get there like the early life stuff was kind of cool but I was like, eh. and then robert downey jr came out i was like oh fuck and then he created when he created the tramp i was then i was bought in i was like okay this this makes sense. This is good. So if they had started it from there, I would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. It's a little rough when he, you first see him as the old man in the – I mean, don't get me wrong. It's funny, and that's the first time you get to see him recreating that physical comedy, like you said. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, okay. I got this. I got this. But I'm with you. Like, he doesn't have – I think it was an interesting thing. It's an interesting – thing to talk about because i think you can see his progression as an actor to get better throughout filming as this character or this person that isn't a character that is a character so it's it's really interesting because by the end of it i'm with you like i'm fully committed to this performance and he was nominated for an oscar for it didn't win which Seems to be yeah. a running theme. Uh, yeah, it seems to be a theme <laughs> this, this month for us when we talk about Oscars and who should have won and who shouldn't have. I don't know. I haven't looked up to see who did win. Um, but it's it's so good to me. And I'm with you. Like, I didn't know much about before this film Chaplin's young life, right? Like, I knew he was impoverished because that was typical for this era time period and yeah (laughs) and it and you know and so but i didn't know like that his mother had the mental issues that she had i do think quick call out that it was really cool that his his daughter got to play his mother yeah she looks a lot lot like uh in this film so i thought that was really cool um that that happened that's really neat uh but yeah, like it's just so intriguing to me to see where he comes from. And it explains a lot because I knew a lot about 
Chaplin as an adult, that he's kind of a dick in personal life stuff, right? He was so overly committed to his craft that he barely had time for relationships, period, right? Um, and then he was also, you know, you know, he's involved because he pissed off J. Edgar Hoover and the guy gets just beat up for being a communist because he was a free thinker versus, you know, an actual member of the communist party. Yeah. It wasn't even close to a member of the communist. Nice party. job, McCarthy. Yeah. What a dick. <laughs> guys are, like, seriously. Like how did, I don't know. That's a whole different conversation, but like the whole J. Edgar Hoover. Fuck. How did that even, well, how was that allowed to work for 50 years? You know what I mean? Right. Like, like the, the personal vendetta that he had because of a couple of dinner rolls is ridiculous. Like I make, I make fun of people on way worse levels every single day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you. you know, when I think back and we've, you know, we've talked about government corruption quite a few times on our podcast and it's a favorite topic of ours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And it's scary. I'm waiting for my lights to go out again. Yeah, uh, but like, <laughs> but like, in the grand terms, like when I look back on history, and this is really not part of this movie, other than the problems that he had because of Hoover being personally offended by him. The fact that like the Hoover parse and look, government's always been corrupt to a level because you give that that you give people that much power, they're always going to find a way to become corrupted in almost every case. J. Edgar Hoover at that point, like to me is when the corruption of the government started to be like on the face. It wasn't a dirty secret that was kept in darkly lit rooms and back corners of, of Washington. And this, it was at the forefront because everybody saw J. Edgar Hoover do it and do it in plain sight. No questions asked. And they went, he got away with it. Oh yeah. We can get away with it. Nobody's going to do anything because of who and what we are. So let's just do it. So like, it's an interesting take to see it rolled into this story of this guy that really just wanted to make a difference and make people laugh, make people smile because of his difficult upbringing. And the fact that he dealt with a lot of depression issues and he dealt with a lot of manic issues. And, and then he had a lot of hard time with human interaction. And now we get to see that he was doing all of this to help people not, to get a release from all these things that he was dealing with as well. But then he was punished for it because he made fun of the wrong guy. Like it just, fuck. I just don't like, it's so dastardly. And then we missed out on how many years of possible content because he was driven out of the country. Oh, so many years. Um, and it's, it just like, I like we said about the making fun of the wrong guy. Yeah. Because he was, I mean, we get a little glimpse of that where his kind of brother's trying to tell him, hey, back off, back off, back off. And he's like, no, this is what this is what makes sense. This is what the people want. Very much, uh, you know, he understood his audience and what he was mm -hmm. going for. And it, I mean, he he's like that pure entertainer, right? Yeah. Where you never think that anybody's taking what you're doing seriously. Mm -hmm. He didn't think it was a big deal because it wasn't to him. Yeah. Right? He was just telling a joke. That's all he was doing. But other people were taking real offense to his jokes. And that's the, you know, a them problem. But him in this pure entertainer kind of, you know, mindset he had didn't see the danger, we'll say, of what he was doing. 
um, despite of you know people telling him like Douglas Fairbanks and you know mm-hmm. his brother and everybody else in Hollywood trying to tell him, hey, you have to play the game, and he didn't even really realize for a long time that there was a game. Yeah, or rules that you had to follow. He was just out to make people laugh, like he said. Yeah, he just did his thing, man. Like he didn't care. Like it wasn't like, and even. Like when he did get political, he got political for the right reasons, right? It wasn't like, and that's the crazy piece is like, and at this time of the world, like everybody was being political to try to be powerful, right? And he's trying to be political because he understood what people needed. And the fact that he saw, and we talked about this when we did The Great Dictator, he saw the problem with Hinkle long before anybody else really did to the point that everybody was like, what are you talking about? This guy's harmless well we know that's not true anymore and and they even talk about in this movie he becomes a genius overnight because even though you know it doesn't last long for him unfortunately because no matter how much of a genius he's still a problem for hoover but i don't know it's crazy to me to watch it play out you can read the stories you can hear about it but then watching it they did such a good job of playing it out in this film especially that piece of it and the fact that you early on find out that he's being interviewed by his editor in Switzerland. You're like, why the fuck's this dude in Switzerland? Like he's a British national that was famous in America and really jump-started Hollywood. I mean, United artist is still a thing. Like that is still the studio. Like I didn't, and I, until I watched this movie years ago, I didn't know that United artist was started by Chaplin at least in part, right? Those three are who started Mm -hmm. it. So it's just like, holy shit balls like i don't i didn't realize until this movie i knew who chaplin was but i didn't realize until i watched this movie how instrumental he was in all of hollywood not just silent films and comedy and that physical comedy in the tramp but hollywood in general what it is today would not be without chaplin yeah he really helped kind of like break open the floodgates to make in everybody thing yeah, because like, Hollywood movies and everything was, you know, like for the rich or for a, a certain demographic of people. And it mm-hmm. wasn't for everybody. And Chaplin found a way to really bridge that gap. Yeah. And, you know, people would go see Chaplin's films because they could relate to them mm-hmm. in a much better way than you could a Douglas Fairbanks film, who, by the way, Kevin Klein, as Douglas Fairbanks, I was upset that we didn't have an Errol Flynn biopic with Kevin Klein playing Errol Flynn. Right. Like, uh that was cool yeah him portraying douglas fairbanks was very very cool yeah and that's something else to even talk about with this movie is uh, you know we went through the cast and it's got everybody but jesus but like yeah. the whole the whole fucking thing and it's crazy when you think about because 1992 93 because technically this film came out in 92 in order to get it on the ballot for the oscars in the 92 year it didn't release nationwide until 93, but there are so many up and coming at the time in the nineties actors. Like there's established actors like Hopkins Downey jr. At this point was already very well established. Dan Aykroyd was well established. Marissa Tomei was just starting to get started, right? She was, she was up there, but she was new Penelope Ann Miller. Nobody who knew who Penelope Ann Miller was in 93, not really. Right. Kevin Klein was established, but then you had Nancy Travis, who eventually become Diane Lane. Don't even get me started there. She's one of the greatest actresses of our generation. 
this was one of her earliest films and she's only in it for a minute but what she's the impact that she has as his third wife is amazing right like the oldest of his wives like it, when he got married and the fact that she throws it at him mm-hmm. well i'm too old for you <laughs> like that shit's crazy to me the amount of people that were in this movie that eventually became a-list movie carrying stars so the cast in this movie is out david coveney yeah as the editor guy but yeah to your point like there are p- parts that were played that you're like well i want to see more of that like i want to see more kevin klein yeah you know i want to see honestly i wanted to see more marissa tomei and even though that actress eventually had a very tragic end right like mm-hmm. i'm interested in that story how'd we get there right like i want to know more about uh what's the the one that started it uh oh god fairbanks's wife pickford i want to know more about mary pickford like it's interesting what this movie leads you to go oh i'm so curious about this yeah because it's such a cool time period right this is the hollywood heyday yeah and so you have these you know titans in the industry the ones who started it you have these huge titans of this industry that are all kind of working together to make this the best they possibly can and to make this uh, this industry that hasn't really ever gotten off on the right foot to be something that people want to go see every day. And so, yeah, I want more of those stories because you have, you know, all these people that I was, oh, I want to see more of that. And I want to see more than that because this is a this is a time in Hollywood where it's the golden age or mm-hmm. you're entering into the golden age. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so intriguing. Like, and I laugh because you so you see Fairbanks and him crawling on the Hollywood sign, you think you're gonna see Hollywood, but it was their first sign when it was Hollywood, Hollywood land. land. Yeah. You're like, this is so crazy because it you don't see a lot of movies that you'll see movies that are taking place in that time, but they don't talk about that time in hollywood and how it's this transitioning period because they also talk about in this movie there's like a moment of mention where everybody does nobody takes hollywood serious at this moment right like this isn't a real loud in restaurants yeah like these people are outcasts trying to and then they all like to like like the government i don't remember i think it was hoover in the dinner where they were talking about how you know they're just troublemakers they're just troublemakers yeah or like their only use is for propaganda. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, to to be a tool for the government to use, uh, which uh, a little bit now, but anyways. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you have this kind of very you know different opposing viewpoints mm-hmm. at a dinner table with you know the the actors who be like, no, we're we're more in it for the entertainment, what we can do and the stories we can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Who was like, no, you're in it because I can control what people think through what you say and do. Yep. Yeah. Who was such a dick? Oh, God. The guy was an ass. How did he stay in power for 50 years? Anyway, whatever. Because he made people. Well, yeah. He, anybody didn't like him, he got rid of. <laughs> yeah. He, he, and he divided a nation. And anyway, that he's a problem. Um, I, you know, here's another thing that we don't talk about because Chaplin's lauded as one of the greatest, and he is. There's no question about it. Like, he changed Hollywood. He helped create Hollywood. One of the funniest physical comedy. But the guy had some issues. And don't get me wrong. In the early 1900s, early 20s, 30s, like, 
marrying someone that was underage was not the the faux pas. There was less understanding of what that did to children at the time. But and you know the maturity level and the understanding like it was different, right? So he still caught shit for it, but it wasn't like he could go to jail for it under most circumstances. They did talk about the whole statutory thing between Hoover and and you know his peon that he was sending out to get him, but like it was a different time, but he did have an affinity for younger women, which when you think about is again, it's not like this, it's not the same then as it is now, but it's still a problem. <laughs> like it's, I mean, even Una was 18 and he was like 50 something when they got married. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's an issue. I mean, at least she was 18. Right. But you know, what bugged me. Huh. So you have uh, what's the actor's name? Mila Jovovich. Jovovich. Yeah. So she was playing his, you know, child bride. Yeah. Sixteen year old. Yeah. Like her, her scene, her nude scene. She's sixteen. Yeah. I, I was know. like, oh, great fucking job, guys. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> but I, at the time. Yeah. Well, at the time when Chaplin was doing it, sure. But we're talking 30 years ago when it was released. Well, I know. But I even like, then, the uh, law was as long as the actor is over, yeah. is 18 or over, it doesn't matter. The character. Now it's different. They don't, they can't. Oh, no. I think Mila Jovovich was only 16 then, wasn't she? Ooh, I don't know. Dude, now I got to know because I thought I read something. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. Let's see. When's her birthday? 75. So, uh, she close. she's close. She'd be close, seventeen or. Well, if they're filming earlier, she was like sixteen or seventeen during filming because she would have been eighteen in ninety three. Oofty. Yeah, so it's it's like uh, we didn't fix the problem, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. I didn't know that. Like, I had no idea. So that was one of the things because yeah, Chaplin did like younger women, mm-hmm. and in that time, if you're Chaplin all for it go for it whatever sure yeah um and you know but at the same time i was like we didn't fix the problem 80 years later guys way to go that when we're filming the biopic or the biopic about it we're just gonna throw this underage nudity in there for kicks and giggles yeah yikes i didn't know that i, I didn't like, know God she was damn, that young. guys i did not know i would have assumed that she was 18 or older right but i looked it up because i was like wait a minute because uh, I was like, mm, mm, you know, but yeah. Wow. So you have, it's almost like, you know, the, the problem still hasn't been fixed like we talked about, but sure, you're, you're now advertising that we haven't fixed the problem. <laughs> oh, no. Like, burn a calorie, guys, and think about what you're doing before you're actually going to do it. Yeah, for real. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Mila Jovovich was a great casting for that because she looks almost just like her. But I mean, maybe I don't know. Maybe Mila Jovovich lied about her age time. I don't know. That's crazy to me. Could have been. No idea. But at the same time, it's like, do you really need to throw that particular scene in there? Right? It's one of those things. Like, hey, let's cover our bases because we can still show the relationship, right? Yeah. And that's fine, but. And I was like, way to go, guys. <laughs> well, and I'll be honest, like, other than the first scene where he's at the the vaudevillian stage and, like, he's backstage with the women and you get to kind of give an insight on his obsession with sex and women, 
you know, in his personal life, like that understand, because he grew up back there, which means yeah. as a child, he was being introduced to that level of, of nudity and them changing clothes. And I'm sure he's been tying up their bonnet or their, their dresses and stuff since he's, you know, a child. But so I got that part, but there was some other nudity throughout this movie that I'm like, and look, I love nudity. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bitching. I'm All not for it. 100%. Yeah. I'm not matching. Like I don't complain about tits and ass and, and penises in movies. Like I don't care about that shit. However, there were some scenes, including this one that you're talking about where you see Mia Jovovich's ass and then you got Diane Lane showing off her knockers. And I'm like, it's just unnecessary. Like it doesn't, I'm for nudity that adds to the film. Or if it's a film that I'm like, this movie sucks. So I need to see some nudity. Show me some boobs. This, this isn't that. So like I, I did have moments and again, I don't care. Like I'm not bitching and saying, Oh, they needed to cut that out. I mean, they needed to cut Mila Jovovich's ass out knowing now that she was at best 17. However, I don't care. Like I'm not sitting here going, Oh no nudity. I'm saying it didn't add anything to this film. Some of it, the early scene. Yes. Help me understand all for it. The later scene. I'm like, I don't, it doesn't add value to this movie, but that's the nineties too. Like the nineties, yeah. there were, there was a lot of nudity for the sake of nudity in those. We films. got the R rating. Let's go ahead and use it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We might as well show some go very nice bro. nakedness throughout, but um, so have you read his biography, his autobiography? I haven't. I haven't either. And I want to, every time I watch this movie, I'm like, I really need to read that. I, I want to read it now. Um, yeah. But I, I was more like, I kind of said, I was staying away from a lot of the Chaplin stuff so I could just enjoy what Chaplin created. Sure. I live in my own little bubble of ignorance because ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Um, now I do want to read it because Robert Downey Jr. did a really good job of making me want to go read it. Yeah. Well, and I love those scenes where he's talking to his editor and he's like going through with George. He's like, I, you know, this is why I chose this. And you can see that the editor's like, well, we should probably do this and we should probably do that. And he's like, but that's not why I did this. That's not what my mindset was. They don't need to know that about me for me to tell them my story and have them. So I found that very, I liked that part. And I, I liked the fact that of a lot of biopics because my one one of my big beefs with biopics in general is the inability to trust because i can't right because there's no way you have to have some creative license when you're doing a movie period and when you're doing a biopic you can't people we've talked about this throughout the month people's lives are just not that interesting in general to make a movie about them so you have to really kind of create that interest and that level of of intrigue through creative license i don't know and again this is all speculation but based on the conversations that he had he understood that even for his autobiography like there's pieces of this that people don't want to read about and they're going to be bored so i'm not going to tell that part of the story i'm not going to do that even though his editor wanted. So I, I'm curious because this is based on two different books, his autobiography, and then a biography that was written by someone else, how much license was taken within the film, because it feels like there wasn't a ton. Yeah. But I don't know enough about it 
to know whether there was like we talked about is you know catch me if you can how there's a ton right and that's partially because of what who it's about we know there's a ton in uh oh fuck walk the line yeah walk the line we know there's a lot in walk the line because there weren't a lot of people that were around and it wasn't like there's like a ton of documentation and there so these conversations were happening however and, and even in walk the line there was less because he consulted for the movie but and then we know there was none hardly at all yeah. for the king's speech which is why it's so fucking boring but then you have this one that i'm like how much was there when it's based off of his autobiography how much did he i don't know it so i'm how intrigued much did he change it or adjust it yeah because I mean, he was that true entertainer, right? Would mm-hmm. he adjust something, tweak something for a better story? Yeah. Or leave something out because he didn't see it as important. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I could easily see that happening. Sure. Um, one, one, one of my favorite scenes in this, because I knew he was a workaholic, right? Yeah. But one of my favorite scenes is when he's in the, you know, room or whatever and he's got just chinese takeout takeout dares open drinks and everything and his wife's like hey we're supposed to go somewhere like four days ago and he's yeah. like you know pretty much like what month is it yeah <laughs> like he would get so into his work that you talked about this like his personal relationship would just suffer mm-hmm. but still despite that he somehow managed to stay on top of hollywood which is a very, you know, like, you know, glad handing, shaking babies, kissing hands type of a thing <laughs> yeah. um, to where he like th- and that just shows those ashore goes to show how good he was with his content because he sucked at, you know, the whole kind of promote yourself type of a thing. Yeah. He was the best because he was the best and he worked hard to be the best. He probably could have done a whole lot less and still been the best if he could talk to people. Yeah, but he was that person who couldn't really do so and so you know he would just you know crunch time i think we talked about this the immigrant where he would crunch time and he like edited in four days yeah and he didn't sleep the entire time Mm -hmm. and that's where he's cutting film and pasting it back together (laughs) yeah yeah well and i love that same scene you're talking about because you watch they they, it was masterfully done because there's a progression right you see that they're they're doing the scoring for the film and and the sound editing and things like that and you see this poor score this poor uh composer like progressively look more and more like shit along with uh chaplin and then to your point diane lane comes in and goes is this how you lost your other wives and he's like (laughs) probably but you'd have to ask them like that line to me is so genius because i it's i mean he's not wrong he doesn't know yeah. why they left because he doesn't care they leave and he's like okay i'm done i paid him yeah i'll go we'll find a on. new one yeah someone else will come up i also love the line too when he's talking to his editor and he's like oh i loved her yeah she's the only one that didn't take me for a fortune <laughs> well and they stayed friends like her new her future husband her next husband and her moved to switzerland close to he and una so like they remained friends which they were friends before they got married so it was like one of those it things helps where, a little bit yeah that helps maintain that whereas the other two were just 
yeah, it was just young. Thought he was there to get to the spotlight and realize, yeah. oh, no, he cares more about the movies than he does me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and then the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs girlfriend in the middle of all that. You're like, yeesh kebabs, dude. I hope it was good because she was nuts. Yeah, off her rocker nuts. Yeah, was that Joan Barry? Who was that? I think so. I think it was Joan Barry. She had a hard life, that one. Yeah, it was Joan Barry. Um, oof. That's the thing. There's so many interesting characters that surrounded this man. Like, it's crazy to think of, like, all the people that he hung out with and worked with. Like, these are, like, the, it, like I love that they were randomly dropping. Like, he was talking to Diane Lane's character, and she was talking about uh, auditioning for Scarlet from Gone mm-hmm. with the Wind. And then she just randomly, yeah, they, you know, they say that uh, uh, Katie or whatever's got it wrapped up. Katie Hepburn. She, yeah, Katie Hepburn, but she didn't. She didn't get it. But like, you're like, just it would have been amazing to think about like the people that he knew simply through, you know, whatever. I, it's just crazy to me. But I love the way that it portrays him and going mm-hmm. through it. And I think that's it's great writing coming from a biography. Like, you really know they leaned on that source material the two books that they use because it just goes down the line and shows his story. You know what I mean? And like, I do. The other thing that I love is that they, cause I don't know how accurate this is, but I'm curious. I've never looked at, I don't know that there's many pictures of that. His first love uh, mm-hmm. was it Kitty Hetty. Um, and then Una, they use the same actress to play. They uh. use Moira Kelly to play his first love and Una and I also wonder how much of Una, like, because they had, I mean, what, eight kids and they lasted for the rest of his life. But how much of that was because they got together at the end of his career? You know what I mean? Like, if he yeah. continues making movies, does he alienate her as well because of his workaholic status? Or was he kind of, because he was getting up in age at that point, but he was, you know, it was, he understood that his character, the tramp wasn't going to last the talkies. That's why he only did five of them that, and he got pushed out of the country, but like, it's interesting. The circumstance, like, I think to me, that's the most intriguing. What might've happened. He doesn't get run out of America. Talkies don't become a thing. Therefore kind of eliminating the need for the tramp. Cause he's not wrong. Part of the appeal to the tramp is you don't hear him talk except in one film. So it's like where that takes away from the mystery of that character. So I was really interested in that take on it. And then, so I'm always curious, like does Uno last the way that they did if he continues making films or this victim of circumstance thing is it's a curious question and there's no way to answer it. Right. But yeah. And I really like that scene where he's like picking on this poor delivery guy for <laughs> like brings him right into the argument about talking with the tramp yeah just uh <laughs> the poor guy yeah. trying, to, like, trying to answer yeah. <laughs> you know starstruck yep um, yep but it does show once again that he was brilliant oh yeah right? and he knew that you couldn't push this this character there yeah right? it's done 
we're done. You know, this is the money maker. This is how I've made all my money, but it's not going to last. We're going to leave it on a high note. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas anybody else, I think, would have been like, oh, yeah, we're doing it. Like, we're going to make a killing if we can talk in the with the tramp like what what else could we do we could do so much more yeah could you imagine hollywood today like we'd have a tramp movie every month oh yeah because like they're like oh it's the only thing that works we got to reproduce it nine ways from sunday we'd have two tv series and 18 movies yeah great yeah fuck and none (laughs) of them would be good that's the problem (laughs) the first one would be the only one that'd be worth watching Mm -hmm. so I, i don't know yeah i'm with you like the fact that he was able to have this character for decades and be as famous and popular and every movie's good you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's not like there was a a stinker in there with the tramp like if you go back and watch like some are better than others but there's none of them that i am like that's a shitty Ugh. movie you know what i mean like that's terrible it just doesn't happen which is another and this guy's pumping out movies like every all month. the time <laughs> And they're still that good. So it's like, it's another testament to his genius. But I think the scene that gets me, like there's a lot of great scenes in this movie. It's long. Two hours and 20 minutes, it's long. But I don't know. It's kind of feels the same way. For me, at least, that the King's, where you talked about the King's speech, I don't know what I would cut from this movie to shorten it. Because I think, the thing with this movie that for me was been different than the other movies we've watched is every other movie. We finally even figured out in the King's speech, you had, you're like, we could have cut some of these scenes. Every other one, like I'm like, there's pieces that I just didn't need. And I don't, that don't add to the story, even though I think it's a little long and there are moments that it drags. Like I'm like, I don't know what I would change because every piece of information that you get about Chaplin and how he did things and what drove him to who he was has impact in this movie. So it's a hard one for me because I do feel like it's a little long, but I don't know what to cut. And I think that's the tricky part about this movie is because the scenes are so good. The movie as a whole kind of suffers from the length, but I I would cut the beginning, but that's just me. That's fair. (laughs) That's fair. But him being a child does drag a little. That's fair. But I think what this movie does better than the others is the way it breaks it up between old Chaplin telling the story Mm. and what we're actually watching. Yeah. You get a little bit of it in Catch Me If You Can. Yeah. Where they do that, but they don't do it very well, I'll say. This movie does it a lot better where you have these breakups where there's two or three minutes of older chaplain telling a story and then we go back yeah and so that to me eliminates a lot of what you need with the cutting yeah because it finds a way to break itself up where some of these sequences could potentially go for a little bit longer and start to get draggy and boring we break it up change scenery older you know chaplain talking yeah that's fair that's fair um, the last thing I want to talk about with this, it was my favorite scene, which is the final scene. Like man's been exiled for X amount of years. And even in the middle of that, once Hoover was gone, they were very quick to say, Hey, come back. And he was like, fuck you. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> kiss my ass. Yeah. And the, cause he, and, and I love that he said that line to George. He goes, I never got an invite. It wasn't an invite. It was a, Hey, you're welcome to come back. 
if yeah. you want. There was never a please come back until the end when they want to honor him with the in you know in the seventies with this Oscar honorary Oscar, which was great that they did that. And then he gets an invite and he comes back right and. Like, I love that moment where he feels like everything that he's done is irrelevant and he never made a difference. And, you know, nobody anymore, especially now, he hasn't done anything for 20 years, 30 years. So nobody knows who he is or wants. And then he's standing on this stage waiting for his chance to accept this award. And he's hearing he's watching his work on the screen and he's hearing the crowd laugh and cheer and like, man, the those moments like i'm not a huge fan of like the streaming tier moments in movies i'm like come on but that one gets you because i i bet he did like it would not surprise me if that man sat up there and just had this moment of holy shit i did do good shit like i went through a lot to do it i had a hard life i had a great life i had some difficulties i got exiled all this shit happened to me but at the end of the day like i made an impact like what a great thing to be able to realize because I think there's a lot of people that don't actually get to see the fruit, the quote unquote fruits of their labor and the impact that they had. But he had that moment where there is an industry that would not be what it is today. One of the most pro- I mean, there was a joke in a movie, like, like a TV show I was watching. Like if you stopped, if you stopped making movies for less like a year or two and took all the money that we spent on making movies, you could solve homelessness in the country. And I mean, the amount of money and that's the industry. And if it weren't for him, it wouldn't be as successful as it is. So I I love that moment and how it ends with going back to his real, you know, it doesn't end with him as the old man. It ends going back to showing the tramp, Tramp. which I love. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. I like that scene too, because I think it shows did did a really good job of showing like he was actually pretty humble of yeah. a person. You know, he had this uh, chaplain kind of persona, the tramp persona and stuff like that, but he never really would say I'm the best because I'm the best. Right. And I'm the best person for this. I'm the greatest ever type of a thing. He was yeah. making movies all the time because he was trying to still stay relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I mean, they, they showed a little bit where he, right at the beginning with Dan Aykroyd, where he was like, I, I can direct, I can direct. I'm the best type of a thing. And I would think that would be some of the creative license because I don't think he ever really had that kind of attitude Yeah, where he was the best. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you take 40 years off and if you, you know, think that you have to make a movie every week, every month, every, you know, six movies a year to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see the whole, yeah, they're not going to know who I am. Like this is a this is a sham, yeah. Whatever they they're, they're gonna make fun of me. Um, type yep. of thing. Yeah, I loved it, and especially where it, what really triggered him to have the emotion is the laughter. Yeah. Like when everybody starts laughing and watching rewatch, and I mean this is like you said, 30, 40 years later. Like silent films haven't been a thing for decades, a long time, 30, 40 years. <laughs> yeah, and so now you're like looking at this man going, he still is funny in what he did still holds up and we talked about it in our podcast it holds like, up now 100 years later yeah if you can if you're not matson and can't watch a you know a silent film without being bored like if you can see the value in what they're doing and see that point like it still holds up he's still funny as fuck so it's just one of those things where yeah, i love that that's how they chose to end the film so 
All right, should we rate it? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, my film, I'll go first. Uh, this was, just so you know, though, this is a film that if I didn't include it, I would have got murdered. It's kind of like your, you know, the couple <laughs> that you did for Darko. Rouge. Yeah. <laughs> if I hadn't put this on the list, I might have gotten castrated in my sleep. So, because this is one of Casey's one. Of, she, she loves Chaplin, I think, more than you love Chaplin, which is impressive because... Yeah, she. I love Chaplin. <laughs> she loves Chaplin, and and for her, it started with his song "Smile." Like that's what got her, and then she's like, "Oh shit, this guy's a genius." So, um, yeah, I'm glad we did this movie. I love this film. This, for me, shows the genius of Robert Downey Jr. that we've all seen now. But he gets it gets forgotten that he was just as good when he was younger. He just had that stint of being uh, having problem with alcohol and drugs, which a lot of people go through. People but have. I'm. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. And I, you know, I love that we get, he's come back, but this was probably peak young Robert Downey Jr. And you get to see, to your point, he recreates things that you shouldn't be able to recreate. And while he had some work to do on the voice and that, and I don't love the prosthetic teeth, it, you know, it's that's one of the things that bothers me throughout the film. But I also know they didn't have the makeup skills that back then that they do now. So, but overall, I love this movie. I love the story it tells. It's entertaining. I, I think it does Chaplin justice, not only his successes, but where he falls short as a, as a human being and, you know, as a husband and things like that. The, I love that it tells all of that about him, right? Like his tortured life made him the success that he was and vice versa. So it's like, so interesting to me. Um, it's not a perfect movie. It is long. It's a lot to tell story, but again, it's it's a little long, but the cast is outrageous, so good. Everything is done very well, and it's very entertaining and very educational at the same time. Um, I think I've been dreading scoring this, but I'm gonna give it a four. Um, I, I think if you're I think it's also takes the right audience. Like if you're not interested in knowing anything about Chaplin and how he who he was and what he did, like then it's not the movie for you. But if you're interested in what made Hollywood Hollywood based on this one person and their influence and impact on it. Yeah. I, this is, this is it. It's a good movie. So giving it a four, I'll definitely watch it again. I'd watch this movie almost anytime. I think you have to have some time cause it's heavy. It's a heavy movie, um, but it's great. I love it. All right. My turn. Let's see. I think I'm going to come in with a four as well. So the beginning of this movie, I really did not like, and I sure. really didn't even like chap, uh, Robert Downey Jr. As Chaplin until the tramp scene where he yeah. creates the tramp character from then on you can really i think see the dedication he put in even the point where where they're playing like tennis or pickleball or whatever mm -hmm. he's playing left-handed because chaplin was left-handed like robert Downey jr went out and learned how to swing a racket left-handed for this movie for the dedication of it and so that goes back to what you're saying the brilliance that robert downey jr is because he's creating a character that should be impossible to recreate it's yeah. a little bit of what we talked about earlier in the month with joaquin phoenix being able to sound like johnny cash nobody should be able to do that Robert yeah. Downey Jr. should not be able to do what he did like Chaplin did, yeah. but he pulls it off. And so it comes down to like the voice. Yeah. But the fact that he can pull it off with the physical comedy is much more important than the voice. Sure. In my opinion. Um, so I'll be watching this movie again. I'm glad that I watched it. Uh, it didn't have the, you know, terrible. There goes my hero kind of vibes that I was scared <laughs> of. So I'm glad I watched it Four for me. We'll be watching it again. Uh, but yeah, it was a good one. Love it. It's a good month. A lot of high scores this month. Yeah. Um, good movies for the biopic month. And uh, that wraps it up. So with that, 
Alec, tell everybody where they can find us when they're not listening to us talk about Chaplin. Happy to. We got canceled last week, so we'll see if we're back. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for tuning in to our review of Chaplin. So this wraps up our biopic, biopic month, whatever that is. I'm so glad we don't have to say that anymore. Know, right? <laughs> uh, so this was a JJ selection and a really good one. Uh, so huge thank you to our patron Cholula Water for selecting it this month. Um, and we have a few more categories locked and loaded. So if you want to get involved in the voting process for the movies in those specific specific words are hard categories, head over to Patreon where you can get those perks. Uh, with that, I'll kick it back to the classes of clout, the titan of terror, a JJ. Yeah. Yeah. Patreon's where it's at. You get a lot of involvement. We also send out in-between scenes as we're recording this shit. Like, uh, that's the funny stuff right there. Yeah, that's, you get a lot of behind-the-scenes content when I have to step away because there's freakouts happening in my house or like garage doors breaking and shit. Like there's all sorts of fun shit going on in between recording. So uh, go check that out. But yeah, you know, as always, we appreciate you tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Hasta la vista, baby. Cinematic out.